friends and members. For those that don't know me, my name is Luke. Um, I serve as one of the elders here. It's encouraging to see each one of you here today. For many people, this is the first Sunday after the start of a new school year. It's also a reality check that summer is officially over. Looking back, one of the highlights this summer for me was the Tokyo Olympic. In case you didn't know, there were new sports addition to the games this summer. One of the new sports that I enjoyed watching was skateboarding. Uh, there were two events for skateboarding, the street competition and the park competition. And I particularly enjoyed the park competition. Kind of like a big hole in the ground, resembling large dishes and, and dome-shaped bowls. Among the attractions of park competition are the immense heights achieved by skateboarders climbing the curves, surfaces at great speed and performing amazing mid-air tricks. For this competition, each skateboard is given 45 seconds of time to do their best trick without falling. And they are scored based on difficulty, originality, and also the execution of these tricks. Each competitor is given three runs, and the best score for those represents their mark. And it's amazing to see what these skateboarders can do in 45 seconds. You know, it can seem like a long time as skateboarders seem to hang and pause in the air with their tricks. But it's also heartbreaking to see many competitors fall just a few seconds into their run, cutting short their time. And what each competitor does within that time is also varies, varied greatly. You know, some try to string together multiple, maybe not as difficult tricks, and some went after very complex tricks at the risk of falling. All are given the same amount of time, yet some achieve greatness in an instant, and some accumulate small successes over time. So today we're going to think a little bit more about time, to see what our passage from the Bible has to say about time. I hope to explore what are the critical things Jesus tells us through the Bible to do with the time that we have on earth. We'll be in the book of Luke chapter 13 today. You can start turning in your Bible to Luke chapter 13. And we have been studying through the book of Luke, and to refresh our memory a bit, in chapter 1 through 8, Luke focused on this question of who is Jesus. He showed not only that Jesus claimed to be God, but Jesus also proved that he is God. From chapter 9 on, where there is a transition to the question of Jesus' disciple. Being Jesus' disciples means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also taught that what is inside our heart is more important than what we say or do because the heart what God judges, what we say, outflow from our heart. And we're still in this section, learning what it means to be Jesus' disciples. For the past two weeks, we learned that there will be a final judgment, and all people must be ready and prepared to face that judgment. Now, today we'll see how Jesus linked that to the kingdom of God, how our time on earth is related to the kingdom of God. So I will read for us Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. Follow along in your Bible where it is also printed for us in the bulletin. And as I read for it, think about this question. How is our time on earth related to the kingdom of God? So follow along with me. Luke chapter 13, 1 through 21. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galilean whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think... These Galileans were worse sinners than all the others Galileans because they suffered 
in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Were those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it yield up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone for this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues. On the whole, there was a woman who had had disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and let it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bound on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? Shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. The air may nest in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of God. I believe the summary of our passage today is this. It's time. It's time to repent and find freedom in the glorious kingdom of God. Jesus is telling us time is running out. Repent and find freedom in the glorious kingdom of God. Time is running out. We'll break down the passage into three sections. Repent from verse 1 through 9. And number two, it's time to be set free from verse 10 to 17. And number three, it's time to see from verse 18 to 21. It's time to repent, time to be set free, and it's time to see. How is our time on earth related to the kingdom of God? So let's go back to the first section, verses 1 to 9, and let's dig in. So the first section is time to repent to enter the kingdom of God. Number one, it's time to repent to enter the kingdom of God. Before I start, I want to warn parents that this section I'm about to go through is definitely rated PG. Parental guidance guidance is required. Parental guidance is required. So have your child close by. Hold them or, you know, hold their hands if, if it's necessary because we'll talk about uh, death and the wrath of God, which is scary. You know, go home later and ask your child about this and process together with them. So kids here, I pray 
that God will give you fruitful conversation with your mom and your dad. For adults here, it's okay for you to feel uncomfortable too. And I too give you permission to hold your neighbor's hand if you need to. Okay, look back in our passage. In verse 1, here of these horrible events, right? First, some Galilean making their sacrifice in the temple, a happy murder, who was known as a ruthless ruler. Then in verse 4, 18 people were killed when Tower and Siloam, which is a tower that was built into the South Sea section of Jerusalem's wall, fell and killed them. It is a terrible tragedy that these Galileans got slaughtered by an evil ruler. It is a terrible misfortune that these 18 people got killed by the disaster of falling, fallen building. Unfortunately, terrible tragedies are still commonplace today. You know, think about people killed in political conflicts that we have, even right now, in places like Myanmar and Afghanistan. Think about people killed in natural disasters we have now, storms, hurricanes, floods, viruses, COVID. Jesus adds this question, verse 2 and 4, if those people were worse, sinners were worse offended to die of such calamity, to die of such horrible death. In Jesus' time, it was often assumed that terrible tragedy only fall on extremely sinful or bad people. But here Jesus is making the opposite point. These people are not worse sinners or worse offender than you and I. That we are all sinners and offenders before a holy God that will judge us them us to, to a horrible end that is as severe as any of these ways of dying. Imagine being blown to pieces, suicide bomber, was slowly suffocating to death with a disease. If you think dying in those ways, being separated forever from God is even worse, is the bad news. Jesus says, we will likewise perish. Unless, and here is the goodness, unless you repent. Unless we repent. Now that I have us scared, we need to know what does it mean to repent. How do we repent? Repent is a word that means to turn. Turn from what? What are we turning to? I want to look at repentance from a slightly different angle today. I submit that repentance is primarily about turning to Jesus of his kingdom. What does verse 3 and 5 now passage said? It reads, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we rephrase that with substituting the word repent, return to Jesus. We can read it like this. No, I tell you, but unless you turn to Jesus, you will all likewise perish. Yes, repentance is turning from our sins. It is turning from our idols. It is turning from ourselves. But more importantly, it is turning to Jesus. Jesus is a king free us from death's captivity and sin's oppressions. Repent and turn to him is the way to enter the kingdom of God. Just turning from idol, turning from selfishness is not enough to save us from destruction. Unless, unless we repent, unless we turn to Jesus. Look back in verse 6. Jesus then tells a parable to illustrate this urgency. 
urgency to repent. He says, a man had a fig tree planted so he can have fruits from the tree. But after three years, he still couldn't find any fruit, so he wanted the tree cut down because it's just wasting the ground. But then his vine dresser or gardener says, let's give it one more year, he says. I'll put some extra manure or fertilizer, extra nutrient for the soil to see if the tree, the fig tree will bear fruit. If not, then you can cut it down. Well, this parable is about repenting because we see the beginning of verses started with, with N, N. So it is connecting the parable to the first five verses before it. In verse 7, we see the man says three years. Jesus used the number three to represent plenty of time. In the scripture reading today, we read from Genesis 18, Abraham asked Sarah to use three seers of flour to make bread for three guests. Now, three seers of flour is equivalent to about 7.3 kilograms of flowers or about 15 pounds of flowers. And do you think three men can eat 15 pounds of bread? That is plenty of bread. So three years represent of time, plenty of chances to respond to God. And we see that even with abundance of time to produce fruit, the tree was give, given even another chance before being cut down. And being cut down here represents God's final judgment. So what is the point of this parable? Well, Jesus is illustrating that it's time to repent. That now is the time to repent and enter the kingdom of God. The last opportunity to repent before God's final judgment or you will perish. That there is still time by the grace of God, but the time is running out to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus is plain and telling us how to get into his kingdom, into the kingdom of God. You can get into the kingdom of God by repenting, by turning to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So Christians, brothers and sisters, who do we know that have not to turn to Jesus yet? It's time to show them by our action what, is, what it means to repent. What does it mean to turn to Jesus? Let me give one suggestion for the believers here. Now, do we choose to serve others when it's inconvenient to us, even when we will get nothing in return? If we're honest, many times we help others when it is inconvenient for us because you know, we're storing up favor, or maybe we're returning a favor. It's actually a transaction. You, know, you see, when it, it is inconvenient for us to serve others and we choose to do that, not as a transaction, but purely giving, you know, it requires us to turn from ourselves. Not only that, it actually requires us to turn to Jesus to be able to genuinely serve because it is not part of our nature. Do you have that co-worker that just talks on and on about their issues? Does your family member come at the worst moment to, to ask you for help? Is there someone at church that you feel the tug to check on but just feel too busy? Do you see a corner of your home, of your work, or of the church that could use some help being organized? Do you think that it was very convenient for Jesus to come into the world and die on the cross for you and for me. I want to challenge us this coming week. Do one thing that is inconvenient to you to serve others. Do it not for the other person. Let me say that again. Do it not for the other person. Do it because it will help you turn to
towards Jesus. When we do this more and more, you will find that Jesus will bear fruit. You are displaying more of his love, joy, more of his patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. And it doesn't happen just overnight. Jesus grows these by us turning from ourselves and turning to Jesus over a lifetime. So keep serving others. Friends here that have not decided to follow Jesus, to turn to Jesus. This is the time to turn to Jesus. Receive his free gift of dying on the cross for you is acknowledging your need for him. Repenting from your pride and self-reliance and turn to Jesus. It is really the grace of God that you still have time to repent and bear fruit. Has God put a friend or co-worker or family member to, to be like this vine dresser in the passage? They keep bugging you with spiritual questions about coming to church. They keep bugging you about living differently. This friend might be doing what the vine dresser is doing, digging around you, putting on manure, or probably does feel like manure at the time, but actually they are putting in extra nutrient for you. They are praying that you will respond and bear fruit before it is too late. The time is now. It's time to repent, to enter the kingdom of God. Let's continue in our passage. Not only does Jesus tell us how to get into the kingdom of God, he shows us that what is the purpose of the kingdom of God. He motivates us to desire the kingdom of God, that the motivation is for freedom, set us free from the bondage of sin. Our second section, verses 10 to 17, it's time to be set free by the kingdom of God. Now Jesus was teaching on Sabbath is on Saturday for the Jewish people. This is when they went to synagogue and worshiped God. Verse 11, there was a woman who had a physical disability. She probably has some condition with her spine where she's bent over and, and could not straighten herself. But not only that, she had a disabling spirit for 18 years. In verse 16, we see that she was tormented by an evil spirit from Satan. So Jesus, seeing this, called her over and, and both cast out the evil spirit to also free her from her disability. Verse 13, it says, Immediately the woman was made straight and glorified God. It's very interesting. In verse 14, we see a very different response from her of the synagogue witnessing the same miracle. God tells us we should not work on the Sabbath. So instead of making someone work on the Sabbath to heal you, why don't you come on those other six days for the work of healing to be done. The intention here is trying to observe the law Moses gave in, in Exodus 31. In Exodus 31, verse 15 to 17, the Lord said this to Moses, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth 
and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now observing the Sabbath is warrant not observing the Sabbath is warrant putting to death. So we can see how the Jewish leader want to take this seriously. So as we just read in Exodus thirty one, you know, we see that not observing the Sabbath, you know, you could be put to death. So we can see how the Jewish leaders want to take this seriously. But looking at the passage, you will notice that the point of Sabbath was to rest in the Lord. So the point of not working is not just to be idle, but to rest in the Lord and be refreshed. We see that the Pharisee with this rule of the synagogue distort the intention and focus on what is work and how to make sure one is not working on the Sabbath. They made many rules defining what is work and, and not work. For them, even healing is defined as doing work. Now, however, even with their own additional rules, which God didn't give, you know, there were different situations where the Pharisees and these rulers would set aside the Sabbath rule and that they would make exceptions. One situation where exception to the Sabbath rule is allowed is what Jesus pointed out here, you know, to prevent suffering of living creature. So verse 15 says, Ox and donkey can be untied and led away to drink water to prevent them from suffering thirst. So the work of untying and leading these ox and donkey to water is okay. Now Jesus rightly called call the ruler a hypocrite because if the Sabbath rule is set aside to prevent an animal from suffering, how much more should it be to prevent a woman, a daughter of Abraham, another way to say a child of God, from even just one more day of suffering after 18 years. At this point, Jesus' argument is so convincing that verse 17 says, all his adversaries are put to shame. Not only that, Jesus also points out another aspect of the purpose of Sabbath. No, which is for the loosening from Satan's bondage. This woman was set free from the disabling spirit. You know, there is a spiritual aspect and an eternal aspect of being set free. But this also is pointing to the future eternal Sabbath rest for all of God's people. When we will be finally set free from sin's bondage from the suffering of this life and from death itself. This is one of the purpose of the kingdom of God to set the captives free. But even now when we repent and enter the kingdom of God, we are sure of the hope of that final Sabbath rest. That future eternal Sabbath is heaven, resting in God's presence. I believe what Jesus is pointing to is that the purpose of the kingdom of God is to set us free from sin and death. Just as the Lord Jesus didn't want to wait to set this woman free, so it's time to be set free. It's time to help set others free by the kingdom of God. And the time is now. I have two applications for us from this section. Number one, it is important to keep the Sabbath. It is important to keep the Sabbath. It's not just resting and not doing any work. 
is going to the Lord for rest and refreshment. Sabbath is called a sign of God's covenant with Israel in Exodus 31. And Sabbath now is still a sign of our covenant with Jesus. It is like how a wedding ring is a sign of the covenant of the marriage. So keeping the ring on shows one commitment to the marriage, and keeping the Sabbath is a sign to show our commitment to the Lord. For WSBC, Sunday is our Sabbath to set aside for the Lord. Are we coming to the Lord in worshiping with other believers? Are we getting refreshed by the Holy Spirit in prayer and in fellowship? Now, does it mean we need to be legalistic and, and put you to death if you don't come to service or don't go to home group? No, of course not. Like a person, you know, will sometimes take off their ring to exercise or do certain tasks. There will be time because of our because of other reasons we can't keep the Sabbath as well as we want to. We might be sick or have work emergency or family obligations. We can definitely still worship God whenever, wherever we are by ourselves, you know, even when we can't keep the Sabbath perfectly. But if we're neglecting the Sabbath regularly, either because of work or laziness or fear, we're missing out on the freedom that God intended for us. The rest that God intended for us and the, the reminder he intended for us as he each Sabbath remind us of the final eternal Sabbath rest that we will have with him in heaven. It's time to be set free or be reminded that we have the hope of freedom in that eternal Sabbath in heaven. Another application for us in this section is this. We need to help set one another free. We need to help set one another free. Are you bound spiritually, emotionally, or physically like this woman with the disabling spirit? Are you slave to work or to ministry or even to school? Do you have difficulty detaching from thinking about the tasks and the needs and, and assignments that you have? Are you shackled to, to condemnations or shames? You cannot shake free from the hurts that others have inflicted on you or the mistakes that you have made? Or are you an addict, a food addict, a screen device addict, a sex addict, a Taobao addict, a sports addict, a Naita addict? These are all good things when they are within a proper boundary. But when you are not able to control them, it begins to control you. First, you need to hear this and take it to heart. Jesus can set us free from these bondages the same way he freed the disabled woman in our passage. Jesus can set you free from these bondages. Don't allow the lie from ourselves or from our enemy saying that it is hopeless. That is not true. Jesus can set us free. 
Now, practically, to be set free, we should be intentional in living with transparency with one another. We should be intentional in living with transparency with one another. We need the Holy Spirit to expose what is disabling us, what is keeping us in bondage. You need to be willing to share your weaknesses and wounds. You need to be willing to share your failures and your fears. This week, John asked to meet up with me. He shared some struggle with me and asked if we could do this regularly so we don't let struggles become temptations and temptations become sins. Now, was it awkward for two men wondering what the other will think if we are transparent and vulnerable with one another? Yes, it definitely feels a little weird. But was it good? And did the light of Christ shine a little bit more into those dark corners of our hearts? Yes, as well. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit, so, we, so as we pray for one another, the Holy Spirit can use us to provide care for one another. So, you can do what John did and ask another person if you can find a time to meet up. If you need some help, you can come talk to me or talk to John. We can talk with you or we can help connect you. Or for some of us, we might need professional counseling help. When we struggle emotionally or mentally, professional counselors are are doctors for the mind. We shouldn't shy away from, from these resources. We know even some Christian counselors, and they are even greater resource that we can use. It's time to be set free, and it's time to help set others free by the kingdom of God. We should move to our last section, verse 18 to 21. Number three, it's time to see how the kingdom of God grows. It's time to see how the kingdom of God grows. Just as Jesus uses the Sabbath to point to the purpose of the kingdom of God, Jesus uses two analogies to further make real how the kingdom of God is at work. Look there at verse 18. Jesus first compares the kingdom of God to a small mustard seed that grew and became a large tree that birds can build nests in it. He then compares the kingdom of God to leaven, or yeast, that a woman put into flour to make into dough for bread. That in time, the small amount of leaven can work through the entire large piece of dough doing its work and make it rise. So what is Jesus trying to illustrate to help us understand more about the kingdom of God. The first illustration with the sea is telling us that the modest beginning of the kingdom of God will end in a final glorious state. Just like a mustard seed is, the, is one of the smallest seed there is in Jesus' time, it can grow to be a big tree with branches that birds can nest on. That seed is also referring to Jesus himself being the seed that initiated the kingdom of God. He came in such an unspectacular entrance into the world as a baby born in a manger to parents that didn't have much. But that his family, which includes all the believers from past into the future, will eventually become a large family tree of all tribes and nations of the world. 
an absolute magnificent and glorious kingdom of God in that final state. Even though now we only see a glimpse of that through the not yet perfect church, Jesus' illustration is telling people that it will grow, that it will become glorious. In the second illustration, we see a small amount of leaven is placed inside three measures of flour. And we see this number three again. Three again means enough or means plenty. So a small amount of leaven is placed inside a large amount of flour. The leaven is referring to the gospel here. The good news that we can repent, be free, and enter the kingdom of God. The flour here is representing our great big role. So Jesus is saying that the gospel will eventually be spread completely throughout the whole world to all nations. Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You see, Jews at the time of Jesus expecting God's kingdom to come in a very sudden and powerful way like a new conquering empire bringing in God's judgment on all evil. So this teaching is hard for them to grasp how the kingdom of God will start, start in such an unassuming way and, and how it will take time to grow. Our passage today is a part of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. He's proclaiming and teaching about the kingdom of God as he is heading to Jerusalem. You know, we, we have the benefit of history, so we know what happened after Jesus arrived at Jerusalem, that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected on the third day. But for the disciples, they didn't know what was going to happen when Jesus arrived at Jerusalem. They heard about Jesus teaching that the kingdom of God is near. So they're probably thinking that Jesus is going to bring about the kingdom of God in an earthly sense of the kingdom, a rule like the Roman Empire that they are under, or powerful nation like the one Israel was when, when David was their king. So what was the good news of the kingdom of God Jesus was proclaiming? Now Jesus said it very plainly in Luke chapter 4 when he referred to Isaiah 61. He un- unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God as himself bringing liberty to the captives and oppressed. That Jesus is a king to free his people from death, captivity, and sin's oppression. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, even though for the disciples, they could not fully grasp that meaning until later. That Jesus is a king to free his people from death, captivity, and sin's oppression through his death and resurrection. Jesus taught about the So many of you have you know, also kind of heard of this concept, this concept of the already and not yet of the last days. This idea of the last day 
is what was spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament of the Bible. It is about the fulfillment of God's promise to save his people. But the, but the New Testament made clear is that the last days already has already begun with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the believer. But the kingdom with Jesus as king is not yet fully realized. And that will only happen after Jesus' second coming. Now this is, this, is, this is why we can see the kingdom of God now. The kingdom of God, our Christian who swear our allegiance to Jesus, our king. We are the kingdom of God. But at the same time, we still see evil and brokenness in ourselves and in our world. This is because Jesus hasn't come back yet the second time to judge the world and to do away with all the evil. The reason Jesus is allowed has allowed more time is his mercy, allowing more people to repent and to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus told these two illustrations show that it will take time for the kingdom of God to reach its fullness. So what are we to do? It's time to see how the kingdom of God grows. We are to see how the kingdom of God grows. To see how the kingdom of God will be made complete. And not our own expectation of, of righteousness and justice and transformation of our society and world as a whole, but trust that Jesus' family tree will grow. You know, brother and sister, this means keep having spiritual children. Raise them to be mature believers. Like raising physical children, you know, this requires a lot of work. It requires getting resources so that you can feed them and close them. It requires taking them to hospitals when they are sick in the middle of the night. It requires teaching and discipline. But there is also much joy and satisfaction in this work. Enjoying the relationship and the love, seeing the growth and the fruit, witnessing God's work transforming and unfolding, and hopefully eventually seeing spiritual grandchildren. So it's time to see how the gospel is spread and work through all nations. This should propel us to keep sharing the gospel and be involved in God's global mission. I think the first step, you know, to be involved in God's work is always to pray. You can find many resources to pray for all the different nations of the world. OperationWorld.org is a good website to learn more about different nations and to pray for them. Operation.org. As humans, our sinful nature causes us to be self-centered and inward-looking. Praying for the nations is one way that, to see how big our God is and that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as he promised. After we pray, the next says is ask where God wants to use you to be part of this spread of the gospel globally. You can go to our book table and read a book about God's global missions. We have a small book from Nine Marks on missions. We have a book from John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. These are all good books to read about and learn more about God's global mission. And talk to different members 
about organization and missionary they support. And is using, you know, is it using your resources to support these missionaries and agency in their work? Or is it actually going to a different part of the world to see how God can use you to spread the gospel? Maybe even without going to a different nation, maybe it's just going to a different quote-unquote roads in our own city and shine the light of the gospel. Maybe it's the business world, the world of orphans and widows, the world of the abused and the, the disabled, the world of LGBTQ, even here in Shanghai, the world of the quite and white mind delivery people, lots of different worlds even within our city. There are many that God is already working on now to bring into his kingdom. So it's time to see how the kingdom of God grows. But we should conclude. Jesus told the people that the kingdom of God will grow slowly in time. So there is time and there will be enough time. But at the same time, Jesus told the people that this time will run out. He told the people that it's time to repent or you will perish when the final judgment comes. He reminded everyone that now is the time to be set free and that there will be a time when we will see the final Sabbath arrive. Jesus will return as the king to free his people from death, captivity, and sins, oppression forever and ever. Some of you know my wife, Anita's dad, passed away this summer. He was 76 years old. He's now with God and no longer constrained by time. But for the longest time in his life, he was not a believer and did not deserve to be saved. Yet God, in his mercy, gave him enough time to repent. About 15 years ago, he finally turned from himself and trusted in Jesus when he realized there was no other way to be saved. At the end of July, he was diagnosed with acute leukemia and basically died within three weeks. He really wanted one more chance to have a little bit more time to live because everything happened so suddenly. But he also knew that if it was God's timing, that it was time to go. Thank God that Anita Dad has already repented and found freedom in the kingdom of God before his time on earth was up. This was our greatest comfort, mourning his passing. Each of us also have a fixed amount of time on earth. We don't know when it will run out, maybe quite suddenly, like Anita's dad. The Bible reminds us that now is the time we are given to turn to Jesus and be set free from death, captivity, and sin's oppression. So it's time. It's time to repent and find freedom in the glorious kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to turn to you and continue to turn to you while we wait for the final consummation of time. Thank you for ushering in the kingdom of God through Jesus. As we stand between the 
already and not yet of the last day. Grant us grace to live godly and productive lives with the time that you have given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.